This special coverage of NTCA's Our Time event is sponsored by Corning, the leading innovator with expertise in glass science, ceramic science, and optical physics. Providing fiber optic cable and network equipment, Corning is helping connect rural America with reliable broadband. Learn more at www.corning.com FTTH. Welcome into part three of our special coverage of Our Time, the annual meeting and expo of NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association. And once again, my guest today is Laura Withers. Laura is the VP of Strategic Communications for NTCA. Well, let's pick up where we left off in the last episode. You know, Laura, we think that quarantining during the pandemic made us all feel isolated, and it did to a degree. But you had a keynote speaker who knows more about isolation than any of us. Captain Scott Kelly, a former astronaut, spent a year on the International Space Station. And he shared with your uh, attendees some inspiring, some funny, and at times uh, surprising moments. What, uh, what stands out to you about his speech? Well, first of all, he was really funny, and I was not expecting that. Uh, But, you know, astronauts have a sense of humor. I guess you have to if you're spending a year on uh, the the Space Center with with nobody else. Um, But as you know, Stephen, I'm a huge fan of anything that, you know, is about space and space travel. And you and I have been to the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama together. And, you know, I follow the Perseverance Mars rover on Twitter and like to uh, keep track of of what it's up to. Um, So... I loved hearing from Mark Kelly, and I know a lot of other people did too. Um, I've also felt over the last year like my house is a space shuttle. <laughs> my else is feeling that way, but don't really leave as much as I used to. So it, it does feel a little bit like I'm in a cramped space that uh, uh, might resemble a space shuttle. But, you know, what I loved about what Mark Kelly had to say was he talked about how he learned to live with very little stuff. He joked that, you know, he had been wearing the same pair of pants for a month. And I I won't lie. There have been days where I have worn the same pair of pants twice just because I didn't feel like doing laundry. And when you're on a Zoom call, nobody can see uh, your bottom half. So um, (laughs) I definitely, (laughs) I definitely enjoyed that. And then, you know, he also talked about knowing what you can control and ignoring everything else. And for goodness sakes, if if there's anything that we have all had to do over this last year, it was, you know, focusing on what we could control and not focusing on what we could not control. That was so hard when, you know, the news cycle was so focused on this pandemic and everything it was doing to our country and our economy and, and just how sad that was. But I, I you know, I, I, I really um, enjoyed his comments about, uh, you know, focusing on those things that... Uh, we can change and then letting go of everything else. Mm, yeah, that's an important lesson for sure. Well, let's listen into a clip from uh, Captain Scott Kelly. And I think this trait of taking risks, being willing to fail, being willing to make mistakes is something that separates really, really successful people in all kinds of fields from, you know, just people that go along throughout their lives, not really knowing what they are capable of doing. To help me, the Navy uh, teamed me up with a Rio like Goose and Top Gun, the guy that sat in the back that was good at helping people and we practiced on land. 
And eventually he says to me, he goes, you know what, Scott? You can fly this airplane okay. But what I notice about you is that you're too comfortable when everything is just going along all right. You're too comfortable with the status quo. You're not making very, very small positive corrections all the time. And because you're not doing that, pretty soon, you know, you're gonna be off altitude, airspeed heading and crashing potentially into that ship. You know, because we are depending so much on the internet and we have a distributed workforce, you know, across the country now with so many companies having their employees working from home, cybersecurity has become an even greater concern. And you had one session entitled The Impacts of a Cyber Breach. And uh, Kevin Beyer, the GM of Federated Telephone and Farmers Telephone Cooperatives, had uh, had a story to share. He was on a panel with Gary Owens of Wells Fargo and Fayez Patwa of Nokia. It's really a frightening topic. And, you know, it's not just the huge corporations. I think the lesson from that session, it's not just the huge corporations that the, the bad actors are after. They're, they're, they're coming after the small businesses, too. What lessons do you think, Laura, that the, the attendees should take away from that session and the experience that uh, Federated Telephone went through? Well, I want to give uh, Kevin huge credit for sharing his story. It is not an easy thing to share because it was not a fun experience. And anybody who has gone through a cybersecurity breach knows that firsthand. Um, and he was very honest with how difficult it was for them and their staff and how scared everybody was afterwards that they were going to somehow cause another uh, cybersecurity incident. Um, but what I took away from it and what I think uh, NTCA members should take away from it is that this issue is not going anywhere. And if you are not taking action to, um, to uh, get out ahead of possible cyber vulnerabilities, um, that you should start doing that now. And NTCA has made huge progress on helping our members do that through several uh, programs that we've launched over the last several years. Chief among them is the CyberShare information sharing platform that we have launched uh, that allows our companies to share information with each other about vulnerabilities and threats they're seeing on their networks and also get instant access to information from the government and other sources on what they should be looking out for. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a topic that I think unfortunately has become even more important during the pandemic as we've seen these bad actors um, continue to uh, to look for opportunities. And um, I, I encourage everybody to listen to uh, Kevin's story because it could be uh, another small business or a small small broadband provider that that's happening to. And this is definitely, I think, one of the sessions that if, if you missed it, um, and, and even if you were able to attend, this is one worth going back and listening to, uh, to really take the lessons away from. But uh, here's a taste of that with a, a clip from The Impacts of a Cyber Breach. Gary, what keeps you up at night? Lately, uh, solar winds and uh, I would say nation state attacks is what keeps me up at night the most. Um, you know, that, that's a, a big problem. But I, I think for folks, I would worry the most about how you protect the systems that you have. So that would be your authentication systems. Who has access to what? Do you know why and how? Are you comfortable that how they access is truly secure? Because that, that's how folks get in and bad things happen. And it manifests itself in ways that 
you, you probably wouldn't imagine, but ends up being a really bad day. The, the, you know, if the Russians or the Chinese or some other nation state were to attack small business, they're going to get in. They're going to get into to companies like ours. They just proved it with the solar winds Orion uh, impact. But for smaller companies, it is thinking through what's going to bring the most likelihood, what's most likely to happen, and what's the impact of that likely to be. So you know, one of the first things I did when I got to Wells Fargo was I increased the length of the password. People kind of looked at me like I was crazy. But an eight-character password can be broken in seconds. A 16-character password can be broken in tens of years, tens of thousands of years. So it's, it's a simple change, but it makes a big difference. Think about how you know how people come to your systems, whether they're your clients, your customers, or your admins, or your third parties. Are, are, are you comfortable that the security is high enough to prevent someone who isn't intended to come to you, or you haven't given authorization to, to get in. Uh, Gary, one question comes up around a video offering. Uh, going back to your Time Warner days, I mean, uh, uh, many of our telco uh, providers do offer video service. What's uh, your uh, feedback there and advice uh, uh, on uh, safeguarding uh, video offering? Yeah, sure. So, you know, if you're given a, a multi-channel package into a home, it's delivered through a device. And that device is an IP address. It looks exactly like the extension of your network. So you may only have a few hundred people, but if you have tens of thousands of uh, clients or customers who have these boxes, that's a hacker's delight. Make sure that those devices are as secure as you can possibly make them and understand how they're gonna be used and have some understanding or some ability to detect when they're misused. Someone may try and inject code in it, may try to they really get to your network or get to their neighbors through that same device. And I assume most of the security controls are built in, but it's well worth putting a little effort to have a complete assurance and have the monitoring to be able to detect when bad things are happening out on the perimeter now in your customers' homes. Another of your sessions was entitled Rural Communities Redefined, and that was brought to us by Matt Dunn who is the executive director of the Center for Rural Innovation. Dunn spoke of a continued rural revival and how communities with robust broadband networks can create stickiness, as he called it, for residents and consumers. Laura, how have you seen um, the, the pandemic create opportunities for rural communities with broadband? Well, first of all, I think everybody knows that when the pandemic hit, Nobody really wanted to be in the city anymore. So a lot of people uh, found a way to get out to a small town or a suburban area that they could spread out a little bit more. And that has led to a huge influx of new people to rural communities, which we think is a great thing, um, especially in communities supported by our members because they have great broadband. Right. Uh, so Matt, yeah, Matt talked about the opportunity that our member communities have in not only providing, you know, ways for people to work from home and, and you know, own homes in these communities and, and work remotely, but also getting more businesses involved in supporting those communities and creating like tech incubators and um, business opportunities uh, in those communities as well. So he works for an organization that has a mission very much focused on that. And I think, you know, it was fascinating for me hearing him talk now versus I met him uh, more than a year ago, actually in Vermont, where he lives. 
uh, when they were really just in the in the very early stages of this. And I think they have made a lot more progress towards their goals of supporting economic development in these rural communities, thanks to the pandemic and what Shirley Bloomfield calls this rural renaissance. Uh, brought on by um, a lot of people moving out to these places from other parts of the country. So um, for me, it was fascinating to see how much progress has been made just over the last year. Well, let's listen to a clip from uh, Matt's presentation entitled Rural Communities Redefined. There are people, particularly now in the hills, who might be working independently or uh, in in uh, companies where you don't think of them as technology companies but in fact could come together as the start of a technology community and then have that to build off of. And when we are exploring this, we are doing it in the context of this moment of uh, what we think might be the great tech migration. Uh, we've been looking at data that showed that immediately after the pandemic set in, one of the highest occupations to move to rural places was independent technologists. Uh, it was also, you know, lawyers and architects and people who had more agency. But what struck us was that interesting mobility of people who are working in technology to be able to move. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of examples of that being uh, more of a permanent thing. Uh, the housing prices in rural places, particularly ones that have world-class uh, broadband, uh, are going up at really, really uh, fast rates. Uh, and there is a rethinking of where people can work and live, especially with companies like Zillow deciding to permanently allow people to work remotely. And the reason these jobs are so important is because they pay well, right? You have uh, these kinds of positions uh, that are in hot demand and are continuing to grow in demand as automation increases. And so this is what we focus on uh, as an organization to both help understand where those uh, jobs are now in rural places, where folks could hire people, and then how to build additional capacity in this uh, area through remote tech training, as well as uh, placement, uh, both remotely, but also for technology jobs that might be local. Uh, we, we have had the experience, which is incredibly frustrating, that uh, hospitals and even institutions of higher education are hiring from big cities because they don't think there's tech talent nearby. Uh, when in fact, if they were, were looking even to sometimes their own graduates at a university, they could find that right at home and be able to create a critical mass. So this is our bigger picture of how digital economy ecosystems can be created. Uh, and we, we look at this uh, as, as a framework for a strategic approach. And we start with some of the foundational elements that you need to have a healthy economy in a rural place. And we have these over here because it's just important to uh, acknowledge that they're they're critical, uh, but we don't get involved in those as an organization. Uh, we just say these are things that you really want to be continuing to work on with folks much more qualified to help uh, with those kinds of activities. Uh, but then we also look at infrastructure. And uh, as you can see, front and center to infrastructure is what NTCA uh, works on every day, which is bringing world-class connectivity 
uh, directly to people's homes and, and businesses. Uh, and we have been uh, doing some work and helping with uh, assessments and understanding how to get more resources to help those kinds of expansions. This concludes part three in our 2021 Our Time series. This special Our Time coverage is sponsored by Corning, helping connect rural America with reliable broadband. Visit www.corning.com FTTH. To hear more episodes in this series, visit ruralbroadbandtoday.com. This is a production of WordSouth, a content marketing company. Access to the on-demand library for Our Time Online is now available at the NTCA website at ntca.org slash rtime. Members can register for access to the on-demand content for $5.99 and non-members for $7.99. And with that, you receive access to the on-demand library, discussion boards in Networking Central, information from exhibitors in the Solutions Exchange, and the attendee-to-attendee text and video chat through the end of May.